Hello, and welcome to Humanising, the podcast that allows you to understand how you've been programmed by both evolution and culture, so you can liberate any behaviour you choose and be who you'd like to be today. I'm Ginny. I'm the map holder. I'd like to introduce Marheen. Hello. Marheen is the explorer. And together we will journey through this programming so you can understand through the questions you ask and definitely the questions Marheen asks, how to liberate yourself and be the most amazing person that you choose to be. I'd like to ask you about neuroplasticity. What do you mean by that? Well, what I understand it to be is a kind of programming that you can do to yourself where through repeated statements, sentences, possibly conscious programming, you heal is the word I'm using, um, reprogram could be a more overarching word. I don't know if it's unconscious thoughts or conscious thoughts or negative thoughts or just something that's going on that you that you want to be reprogrammed. So if you tell yourself you're something over and over again, and then you give yourself a, a reframe or a different phrase and you sort of interject that sort with a different sort and you and you keep sort of interjecting the you start to embed the new thought. And that new thought becomes the the stronger thought eventually. And from a change perspective, from a personal change perspective, it can be an incredibly powerful tool if you are trying to, I don't know, undo trauma or, well, not undo trauma, but. Okay, so neuroplasticity is the, is the ability for the body, the brain and the body to rewire a certain way of doing. Mm -hmm. The thing is that takes absolutely zero account of how deep a program is or whether it's actually something you've been taught or something that is part of being human. Said you can't not be unconsciously biased. Doesn't matter how often you say it to yourself, right? So if you want to change or transform something, again, it's where is it held? Is it a program? Is it an evolutionary program? DNA is it a it, or is it something I've learned in this lifetime that's the first place you have to go then the other thing is it's not what that negates anything about the mind body connection so a right. lot to do that happened in your we think it's in our heads actually in our bodies so for example yeah. And this is, again, lots of stuff recently that's changed. So there is a significant amount of scientific evidence now that things that were serotonin antagonists for depression don't work. And that for okay. ages, you know, process. Could you expand on that? Oh, they bit. just proved not to work. So it's the, because the latest research shows that most of the serotonin you need made in your gut. So for, for most of the Enlightenment period yes. from, let's say, the Renaissance of Arvords, we have tried to divorce human beings from their environment and give them control over it. We've also tried to divorce your brain from your body. So you are a consciousness, mm -hmm. right? No, you're not. Your interconnected system 
with this organic thing that you live within. And most... So the phrase, you are what you eat. Oh, it's huge. And again, that's a, a lot of that's only becoming really scientific evidence recently. So the fact that your body is not designed to eat highly manufactured or highly processed food. Makes complete sense because it's only just become yeah, available exactly. that actually we're meant to eat what nature provides. Well, what's in, yes, yeah. or only, uh, you know, or only processed in a limited way. So, for example, canning or older, what would, before refrigeration methods of storing food, whether that's things like... Um, Pickling and uh, like the kimchi or the sauerkrauts or which use natural bacterias. And again, Stuart, I'll be able to provide the data if we need this. But there was an experiment recently by this who most scientists would consider themselves what's called reductionist, as in you reduce it down to its core separate components, not system. Right. And this okay. guy was, I think, approached by PepsiCo to do research into the fact that there's nothing wrong with highly processed foods because it actually contains the baseline constituents. So they set up two groups of people, properly managed, properly done for all their you know group things. So they were good to, and it's proper scientific study. And then they took two loads of food, one which would have been uh, produced and homemade from actual baseline ingredients and one which was highly processed, but they had exactly the same nutritional content. So from a reductionist perspective, your body should have handled those both of those exactly the same. And the results of the experiment were, no, he doesn't. And the guy who did the experiment was gobsmacked. Right. <laughs> because if you're a reductionist, a protein is a protein is a protein, no matter if it if it's, um, appears as in a tofu or chicken leg or if it's a highly processed chicken nugget, it's protein. Right. Apparently not the way your body looks at it. And what was Fair really, enough. That makes sense yeah, to me. And what was really interesting is the group who had exactly the same nutritional content, exactly the same everything, but highly processed, um, felt more hungry and put on more weight in the two-week period than the other group. And then they swapped them and the reverse happened. So if they went, they lost weight on the unhighly processed. And the, the group who'd been on the unprocessed went on to the processed one and put on weight. So we've got food as a phenomenally important source. We've talked previously about protein being incredibly vital for our brain. Yes, but you, you asked about repeating words. Yes, I asked. Now, this um, is really... Yeah, neuroplasticity was sort of my... Well, I mean, I suppose it kind of sits in the place of how can we change our so, behaviours? How can we change our thoughts? Well, how can in we some change respects, ourselves? you have to understand what thought you're changing. And are you changing a thought that is dependent on a set of chemicals that have been released something? It's a bit like, so for years and years and years, middle-aged women were considered hysterical. So anyone who's going through perimenopause or menopause was considered hysterical um, or... and depression yeah. all of those you were put on huge amounts of antidepressants in fact some people some poor women were sectioned and given electrotherapy and those same women today have now been given hormone replacement and are fine right so you might be trying to change thought that has absolutely sod all to do with what you think it can have a completely different basis so and 
And we have been taught that number one, everything I think is my fault. It's not. Could have a hormonal basis, right? Okay. Um, it could have a food basis. Again, you're not eating the right food, your body doesn't produce enough serotonin. Who knew? So for me, it doesn't matter how hard you try to think yourself positive, you're never going to. But... This is such an important piece of, of knowledge, isn't it? It is, because it's not all about you. It's not all your fault. It's not the fact that you don't try hard enough. And it's actually giving power to something that is so, that is, um, it's a micro adjustment, if I could call it that, to look at your diet. And, and your age, especially. This is with a heavy, heavy dose and your age. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And. Um, look at your diet and consider whether what you are putting into your machine is going to yield the results that you want it to yield. Are you putting diesel into a unleaded engine in the most basic yeah, of breakdowns? Yeah, no, totally. Um, and that's really important because the first place you should look for where thoughts come from. Well, there are things you've been taught to think about yourself, totally, but there are also... You can't, if, if you're perimenopausal, menopausal, or even a man at that particular age whose testosterone's dropping off, you will feel more negative, have higher anxiety, and have a tendency to be depressed because basically over 90% of the things that happen in your brain depend on, on estrogen and testosterone. So it has an impact on absolutely everything that happens. Right. That's not to say that how I, I think, you know, as she says, looking down at her chest that no one can see, the fact that I really don't, I believe my boss is too big because I don't conform to a certain model of what I've been told. That's not, that's not depression. That thought about how I no. see myself is received. Someone then told, you know. Yeah. Right. So they're very, very different. Some of the pure emotional disorders, you should start with how old you are and what you are eating. Um, yeah. I mean, again, my particular experience with anxiety, I mean, I, I'm at one stage, I was so unbelievably anxious, I couldn't get in the car and drive. And gave me testosterone, it disappeared in 24 hours. Literally 24 hours. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. And it's not in my head. Again, as women and what's it, we've all been told, it's in your head. It's it's so so frustrating. You can say to somebody, "I don't feel okay," and they will write you a prescription for a thing versus ask you about your diet, your exercise, your sleep routine, your hydration levels. You know, they won't they won't go there. They won't they won't maybe ask you about your home life. I don't life think or, it's what they've been taught. They've not of, been taught that medical model of medicine basically says. Um, Treat symptoms, not causes. Right. And then you have what people would call holistic practitioners, which is just to me just sounds like a human having a conversation with a human. And, and it's the same tick box. There just might be a few questions earlier on. Oh, completely. But it's all, it's, and the body stores. I mean, Dr. Garfield is better on this one than I am. Um, but the body stores trauma in very different ways. You know, it's not just what you say to yourself. It, it's where things appear and why they appear in those places. You know, um, a friend of mine who had really, really chronic back condition. Um, in fact, he, he often says this is the reason he 
ended up working for me because during our conversations, it was it became apparent that this might not be a spinal issue, what's it, but attached to grief. And uh, now, now he's worked really hard on emotional. In fact, he's a practitioner in that field. But that emotion causes pain in your body, and he can now run a um, marathon. Amazing. Such an advocate. So I have been working. I've been doing some emotional freedom technique work for about two years, um, as a as somebody who's like I work with someone to do it. Um, because I, I think it's really interesting how you can talk about something and then it fits somewhere in your body and you, and you recognize that like sometimes it's in your chest or sometimes it's somewhere else. And there's a physical response to recalling something, uh, good or bad. It doesn't always have to necessarily be negative. You know, this could be, you could be telling a happy story and you can feel it, you know, bubbling up somewhere. And that's just as important as everything else. And how if if it is something negative, the release of that kind of frees you a little bit from Yes, and there's there's also it. to give people different access to this sort of thing. You don't actually have to talk about it, right? So there are, are there are practices such as Wim Hof breathing technique, which have been used with um child soldiers very, 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 very effectively. You know, it's it's allowing the body to release stuff because it's actually held in the body as much as the mind, right? Thoughts in the mind usually... But it's this thing that you are a system. Let's go back to that again. We are a programmed organic carbon-based... Organic is carbon, right? Carbon system, right? We just are. The more we realise we are a system and not a set of individual parts, not just as an individual but as a group of people, things just happen better. Well, everywhere we look, we are a bunch of parts. So whether it's the human, the individual human, the groups that yeah, you're a part system. of. It's, for me, this is system and it, system dynamics. So the system itself is programmed to behave in a specific way, which is all about competitive advantage. Your body is programmed yeah. in a specific way to behave and hold things or release things. And for me, we have lost so much of what we knew because we've been insistent in the past three or 400 years and then 5,000, it's either a metaphorical being's fault or it's in your brain. So in this episode, we are talking about the discomfort of change. Yes. And I think something I would like to explore for a, a few minutes is the physical discomfort of change. Yeah, well, and... This is really interesting because if your body, if, if, if physical discomfort usually manifests as an emotion, right? Your body will okay. will feel something and you'll feel pain and pain will make you upset and want to do something about it, right? All this is in the end is this amazing system going, it's a problem here. I need to let your... Sometimes it doesn't let your consciousness know, right? Because it... Why should it? Sometimes it does. And it, it, it that then is you feel something emotionally. You then have a thought and then do an action. 
but it's the fact that your body is an entire system, not a list of separate parts. So if you get the shakes. That's usually adrenaline. Yeah. That would be described as discomfort. Totally. But then you have to remember, the shakes are also really positive if you're really happy. You, adrenaline is something that's released regardless if you're happy or sad because your body is, it's the same thing. The way you think about it is, you've been taught to think about it is different. Okay. So whichever way it goes, you take, you take a few deep breaths and you come down yeah, again. Yeah, but sometimes you might want that. Adjust. Who said that it was negative? Right. You might want that feeling. We live in a complicated system. I mean, for heaven's sake, we don't even know why we sleep. We, we have very little knowledge of the mechanisms of falling asleep. We've no idea really how the brain processes emotion. We don't know. And if it processes it, sometimes it feels like emotion is body. Exactly. Felt. You know, I cry, I, I, need a, I need a hug, or I cry, or I put my arms in the air, or I jump around, or I'm, you know, nervous and fidgety. It, that's all happening in my physical body. That's... Which is great. But it's this bit yeah. that, and I go back to the difference of what we've been taught versus what we think or feel. You know, sometimes... And you know this because I wrote about this. It's the fact that, you know, we've been locked in an amphitheater in our own mind by the system that told, has told me that I am my own competition. Right. And I can't, yeah, which is so not human. Do you think people who are open to change are brave people? Well, that means, if you, that means you have to take the pre-context that change is scary. And that goes back to that's what we've been taught. Oh, I'm being circular now, aren't I? But it's that chat. No, no, I think it's important. Yeah. I think it's important because there are definitely times in my life when I've probably avoided change because I have been frightened. Yeah, you see, I, I will always... Interesting. I, I, yeah, I would have said I've been remote change, but sometimes I've had change thrust upon me and I didn't choose it and it wasn't that bad after all. Absolutely. Yeah, me and too. You just, We're all and still you go, here. Yes, I'll let just get on with it. There are some things yeah. that can affect my way of acting and being in the world and um, how I earn money, which I found incredibly scary. Uh -huh. But then you still do them. But as we discussed, this is, uh, I think, has a lot to do with people's in, uh, internal ability to risk. You know, there think, are people. Yeah, there right. are people you would meet who. Well, I look at my uh, my parents, and my grandparents. Um, you know, if my grandma hadn't been prepared to get off her ass and leave Czechoslovakia when she did, I wouldn't be here. Right, as huge risk. Same, yeah. She same just with left. Me. Literally, she was yeah. left, or she was going to end up in a concentration camp. So she ran away. Yep. And she said, she actually said to me, you know, you're genetically selected to survive. Get on with it. Wow, I love yeah. that. I did you can. And all right. I she think... said she did say you might you, you uh, on another day she said you might have get a trail behind you um on a toboggan, a truckload of shit, but you're still here. <laughs> it's brilliant, right? isn't it? Yeah. But to go to go back to my earlier point or question, I can't remember what it was, but I would put that down to resilience. 
and self-trust. Well, resilience is one of those words that bug me because it's a bit like psychological safety. People have suddenly seen they've just bloody invented it. No. How about self-trust then? How, how, does that, how does that sit with you? you? No matter what it comes at you, obviously we're not talking about... Yeah, so you know. resilience always sounds... I always think it's a very negative word. I'd say I was a highly resilient person, but I, I just am. That's had nothing to do with how you've been oh, raised, God, not, no, like, not, not the story you've just no, told. No, because my parents were absolutely positively dreadful. And my grandma had very little to do with that. That could be genetic. Um, it, it, I suppose I get annoyed because it's one of these things that we seem to have just decided we've developed. So it's a bit like let's have psychological safety and that's trust. Psychological, if someone feels safe to something, they have to trust you or they have to trust the environment's not going to undermine them. Resilience is, and the, the, you know, but you could still be resilient and not be very happy. You could still be resilient just by, let's say, my grandma did and just get on with life. It, it, it's not a, I don't know. I suppose I get pissed off with all of these suddenly new psychological uh, pop psychology. This is pop psychology in, in my book. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you really mean? What are you talking about? And are you just here to make money out of it? And that's fine. Like, I think there's probably, I think everything is worth interrogating to ensure that there oh, is. I, I wouldn't interrogate it, would I? Here, I'm still asking why. Okay. <laughs> well, I said, what you're doing? Why are you doing yeah. it? Are you just telling me that so you can make me feel shit and then for make money out of me? You know? Is it about... And is resilience individual or is it held by the group? Because in the end, evolution only cares about group survival, not individual. Human right. beings, not you. So maybe it's um, maybe the discomfort of change is uh, what could it, it be? It just feels uncomfortable. But you know, if you know that no matter what happens, ultimately you'll be okay. That's interesting because it depends what okay is. I mean, there are some times in my life I've not even known what okay was. I just moved a step forward. Good enough. Exactly. Not dead. Not dead yet. It's just good enough. Right. And the thing is, I, I also think it's a reasonable choice to make if people don't want to do that or don't want to move or, or decide to get off. What I hate yeah. is the fact that someone else tells someone what to do, what to think or how to behave. And they've done it so often that that those people or that person doesn't know that. What if you're telling yourself not to do it? What if you're the fear? Yes, what if but you're... that's usually learned. Human beings, as we've gone, don't uh, don't fear learning, don't fear change, don't fear stuff. Small children, you can take a, a small child, and both its parents can die. Right? It's bloody resilient. It, it, it will it, wherever you put that child in what environment, it will survive. Right? That's resilience. Yeah. Unresilient behavior is learned. Dependence on the state, dependence on the system is learned. Dependence on uh, people. Uh, um, no, we are dependent on people as human beings because we work in groups. But the fact that you, aren't, you don't feel responsible for your own health, you think the NHS is just there to make you better, no matter how awful you've been to your body means that you believe that the state is here to make you better. 
the discomfort of change. It's actually a really big topic. Oh, we could have a whole number of podcasts on this, literally a, a whole thing, because in the end, what we're talking about across this entire thing is a change and transformation in the, and, or, or evolution. And at the seat of that is being human. And the, the humans are the most resilient organism, as in lots of us together. We've done evolution and change and transformation forever. In fact, the fact that Homo sapiens became the most or the dominant species and then outlasted everything else of the hominoids is down to the fact that we're bloody brilliant at this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Neanderthals, Homo forensis, none of them exist anymore. Maybe this is going to be a series of episodes. Maybe we are going to pull this apart a little bit and, oh, and do I'm a little bit more, more than happy of a deep to dive. Keep going on this one because this this whole thing about why Homo sapiens are not Neanderthals is really recent, and it's a way of particularly looking at the fossil record. And it looks like the fact that Neanderthals were far more creative than Homo sapiens, but. And individually so. So every single arrowhead or thing they develop, you can see looks slightly different from looks quite different from any other. And yet the Homo sapien fossil record shows that they played around with something till they got it to the best it was and then kept that. Which is all about group. It's all about data information being powered to everyone. It's all about knowledge sharing. It's all about we are everything, we are together which is what I consistently talk about and believe in versus your individual knowledge is power to me and you're my competition. It actually looks like now right deep down in the fossil record, the reason Homo sapiens became the most dominant species and then wiped out everyone else is because of that group behavior. And if I'm, if it's, if it continues on that vein, then culture has to be an algorithm. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, in fact, it's a French guy who did most of the research and he's just published his books just being translated into English and it's over there, it's sitting on the shelf there. It's a bloody dreadful, dreadful translation. But right. <laughs> what he says is very interesting. Um, and he's the foremost Neanderthal scholar we have at the moment. But that's but again, mm-hmm. that's taking its stuff and looking at it in a different way. So literally everything okay. we look at is about change and transformation, you know, how you think about yourself, why why you don't want to do certain things, why you're challenged with certain stuff. It, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm going circular, sorry. No, it's great because I think this is, it, as we've just, just said, it's, it's a big topic and we might have a couple of oh, episodes in this Oh, I'd love to do that because... 40 minutes. Yeah, I, got, I think um, digging recorded. into this is really important because this is the art and the science of being human. Well, there's the thing, art. Yeah. In the rationalist reductionist era we've lived in, art has been dismissed mm-hmm. um, as, I don't know, not serious got nothing to do with it it has hasn't it right it it's like we don't yeah. even teach our art education is the first thing to go they'd rather yeah, you learn math really there's enough art in math 
Um, but again, we didn't have, we, we had art and we had music and we had dance before we had language. So they're okay, fundamentally yeah. more human things. I love that. Like, there's a whole thing. Um, and one of the things I've seen about art, and maybe it's the way I look at things or a lot of the cave art and, and stuff you can see, is actually it's telling not only a story. Remember, we've got no language to hand on data and information. How do we, how do we keep it going? So there was some work last year which um, proved... And there was an amateur, right? Even the word amateur annoys me. Okay, so he didn't have millions of what's it qualifications, but he'd looked and looked and looked and looked and looked at cave art across the world for a very, very long time. And he'd sat there one day and he thought, because there are lots of dots and half dots and things on cave art. And he was like, I know what this is. They're trying to tell you in the seasons when these animals give birth and how long they just stayed for. Yeah. He tried to get listened to for about 20 years and no one would listen to him. Two years ago, someone said, oh, yeah, I think he's right. But it had to be an academic professor, again, because supposedly they know and they didn't want to know that someone who's not, not in their tribe had come up with something brilliant. But they've decided now, and it looks very consistent that not only he's right, they're now looking for other things in those pictures but isn't that a brilliant way to hand on what you know to and to hold it for you know pass knowledge on to other people absolutely and it's yeah. fascinating um the some of the um k uh the underground uh schists and caves uh, uh cave structures we still not caves man-made structures we still have are really amazing echo chambers that I forget what they're all called, but there's a whole lap over in the north of Scotland that if you sing at certain notes, it rings, it echoes. Wow. Yeah. So, and I think a couple of years ago in South Africa, <clears throat> well, I not think I know, I just can't remember exactly who did it. They found a non-homo sapiens species ceremonially burying their dead oh wow so i'm I'm not happy with some of the ways they looked at what that really meant because they then came piling in with the, they must have had a theory of god and transition and, and i'm like how much are you still using your own perceptions to look at something the fact that that mm -hmm. I from the the way the cave structure had worked because it was a large cave and then a smaller cave and then a very narrow tunnel going into a very large cave, for me this is female genitalia of giving birth, right? And they wanted to re-put back the dead person into the womb-like structure instead of going, oh, this is about transition, this is about God, this you know if you're doing all of these things you must live in an afterlife. And I'm thinking, no, they're just putting it back where it came from, um, right? It, it, there were only men who were on this thing, obviously. Um, but it was this journey back, which obviously for me was very similar to those things. But this is like 350, 400,000 years ago. We've okay. been a human for a very long time. A really long time. And we've been changing yes. all of that time. Yeah. 
And so when we talk about the discomfort of change, it, it might be uncomfortable, but we keep doing it. Yes. And it will be uncomfortable, but that's part of being human. Right. And that's great. It's something that actually unifies us totally. all, right? Totally. It's, I mean, that's a lovely way of looking at it. Everyone feels the same. Anyone who tells you they're not made uncomfortable by change is lying. It is, it's like laughter, which is one of the baseline human things. Change, transformation, how you break, it's exactly the same. It is absolutely fundamentally human. Yeah. It does. And it's okay to own that it's a bit scary. Yes. And it's going to be. And actually expecting change not to be scary is a bit stupid. Because that yeah. would be denying everything what it is that, that, that your brain's been designed to do. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on the journey with, with me, with us. Well, you're the explorer, Marheen. I'm off. I'm bashing into the undergrowth of our brains. And into all that programme, prodding around, gallivanting within that programming. What we want to do, as we've always done with this, is help you understand why you feel, the thoughts that you do, and then the behaviour behind that. So you have a choice of how you behave and who profits by it. And if it's not you, and it's not humankind, then stop and think and go, who's controlling? Who's behind my steering wheel? So I want to invite you back, whether you're on a walk, going for the train, on that commute, taking a bath even, cooking, driving a car. Wherever you find yourself, come and find us. We will be waiting.